Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and uh, it's probably a well-worn path for many that are here. And I know tonight that the Spirit of God can speak something fresh into our heart. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for well-worn Bibles. Amen. Well-worn Bibles. That means we've been there. We've been there. Hebrews 11 and 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. And so this evening, I want to preach about faith. And I want my subject tonight is the hope that faith brings. So I'm not talking about faith in faith or hope in hope. But I'm talking about faith in God and his word. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated and the Lord bless you tonight. I believe that faith is perhaps one of the greatest qualities of the Christian life. Because faith gives hope and it gives meaning and it gives purpose to everything that we know. Faith. And I realize that faith is something that we sort of build and collect if I may say it that way, as we walk with God. I remember several years ago, I was trying to really think about it, but it would have to be more than 17 years ago because we were still having a camp meeting in the gym at the, at the campground, and Brother Paul Mooney was our evening speaker, and he, he preached a message about his faith file. I've referred to this several times through the years because it truly impacted my life. It was simple in some regard, uh, a simple approach to a message, and he had a manila file folder that I saw really was titled The Faith File and uh, His Faith File. And in that, he just began to preach about things that God and prayers that God had answered, things that God had done, prayers that God had answered through the years. And so he chronicled those things, and he just began to preach about when his faith would run low, that he would turn to his faith file. In addition to the word of God and messages on faith or songs that may uplift us and encourage us, there's nothing quite like our own personal faith file where we turn and we know that God is God because of what he did in our lives. I'm thankful for the redemption of people, men and women's life in the scripture and I have great confidence in that. But I'm also more thankful, if I could put it this way, for the move of God in people's lives that I know personally. There's just something about that being underlined. And uh, I was there when it happened, as the song says. <laughs> I guess I ought to know. We watched how the Lord time and time again has moved in the heart, in the lives of people, and has sustained their steps. I think it, faith, it, at least, is fundamental to our relationship with God. And, 
And so it would be difficult to talk about faith without talking about people of faith. And so when you're talking about a subject like faith or love or things of that nature, you can't talk about everybody in Scripture because there's a lot of places that would apply. But I believe that faith, real faith, produces faithfulness. And so again, we look for those characters in Scripture and we think about those faithful men and women of God who just, uh, not because their life was carefree or not because all was well, but they just kept walking. They just kept walking. They continued to go against all odds. And so in that class, there certainly we would find the name of Abram or Abraham. And so God speaks to Abram and begins to deal with him as a younger man. And his faithfulness to, to God, his response to the call of God, caused him to be known as the father of the faithful. Now we see Abram or Abraham on the other side of a lot of circumstances in his life. And we think about the father of the faithful and we could never be that. We could never have any of those illustrious titles. But, but in truth, Abraham was just a man or person, a human being like you and I. He was just a common man that was willing to obey the call of God. That is the bottom line. As a matter of fact, no matter who, when we get to heaven, no matter who we sit down and sit with or sit down and talk with, they're going to just be very common people, their lives. They didn't start out to be what we know them as or they didn't start out their lives to be on this pedestal that we may have them rightfully sitting on tonight. But the, the faithfulness of Abraham, his courage and confidence to just move when God said move. Now, he was not perfect, and we're going to talk about some of those things, but, but uh, there, was, there was nothing about Abraham's past that made him what he became. He was not born with a proverbial silver spoon in his mouth or even a proverbial spiritual spoon in his mouth. Abraham was just a common man. He was a native of Chaldea, the son of Terah. He was a ninth generation descendant of Seth, uh, one of the sons of Noah, he was just a common man threading his way through life. None of those facts made him, by default, a faithful follower of the Lord. I've often said I, that you can't inherit spiritual things. Now, I'm thankful for the spiritual path that has, was placed before me, and I'm sure you feel the same thing. But just because your mother or father or aunt or uncle was a, had a great prayer life, you're not going to inherit that prayer life. You've got to develop that yourself. Because somebody had a, a great comprehension of Scripture, you're not just going to inherit that. You may inherit their eyes or the shape of their hand or their nose or their feet, but you're not going to inherit those spiritual attributes. And so none of the facts that we know about Abram made him what he was. Abraham, like you and I, have to develop our own relationship with God, and we do that by exercising our own faith. We exercise our own faith by running the race that Paul said was set before us. I don't have to live your life, and you don't have to live mine, but we have to run the race that is set before us. And so if we look at Abraham's life, and again, sometimes we focus on the end, but if we look at Abraham's life, we have to realize this, we think about Abraham in Genesis 22. We'll talk about that a, a bit more in a moment. But we look at Abraham in Genesis 22 or Genesis 24, and we see him in these illustrious moments or times in, in, uh, in his life. 
and failed to realize that it took him years to develop that kind of faith. We look at sometimes other people and how God is using them and we want to be from where we are to where they are. And I remember many years ago uh, at a young minister's conference that was being held in Bellevue, um, Brother, J- Brother James Varnum had spoken that evening just a, like a keynote address and it was just an incredible, in just about 20 minutes he sort of summed up his life story and it was just an incredible journey and his son, Brother Jason Varner, the pastor of the church, got up and he said, you know, there's a lot of people that would like to be where my dad is now. He said, but the real question is, how did he get here? A lot of times we want to be where someone, we see them today, but we're not all that interested in what it takes to make that journey to get where they really are. And so Abraham we do find him in some tremendous moments, moments captured in time. But he didn't get there overnight. It took years to get to that place. And it's no different for you and I here this evening. It takes time to mature in faith. And if we're not careful spiritually, we can be much like we are naturally. We always want to be somewhere else in our life. At some other intersection. You're 15, you want to be 16. 16, you want to be 18. You're 18, you want to be 21. Then you want to be 25. And then you want to be this. Amen? And then you want to be old enough to retire and then you want to be young enough to do it all over again. (laughs) As we say, if I had it to do over again, I'd be a lot wiser. And we always have a reason for wanting to be somewhere else. But the truth of the matter is is that it takes time to get wherever we are. And it it has taken me 60 years to get here. (laughs) And it's taken you ever how long to get there. And it doesn't happen overnight. But... And so we have, it takes time to mature in our faith and we have to walk through a few valleys, hear me now, to know that he will never leave us or forsake us. We've heard that, many of us, all our life. But you've got to go through some stuff to really come out the other side and say, you know what? That scripture has substance to me now that it's never had before because I was in a very low place, but he's still there. He was right there with me. And so the call of God to Abraham was a call to a place that was unfamiliar. It was a call to separate himself from his home country and from his home kindred. It was a clear call that Abraham knew in his heart of hearts that this is exactly what God wants me to do. And it was through his obedience that Abraham revealed his faith in God. I believe the foremost call of people today, of course, is a call to salvation. Because after we answer that call to repentance, there are many different calls that we're going to have to obey. There are many different biddings. Let me put it that way. Many different biddings that we're going to have to address. There's a call that God is calling us closer. I believe that's what the Lord is doing right here tonight. In a very, very subtle way, the Spirit of God is edging us closer and closer to Him. And so when when we obey the call of God on our lives, then we exhibit faith in God that faith that God has called us. Many people wrestle with their emotions, not really sure of the call of God in their lives, and that is certainly understandable. I think to a degree, we've all been there. I don't think it's good to move presumptuously. I think we need to move with caution. I think we need to weigh our steps and and consider where we're going. Ponder the path, the Bible says, that's before us. And before we know that God has called us to a particular work, I think that we should not overreach or that we should not launch. We need to let the Spirit of God. On the other hand, 
the other extreme of that perhaps, there are people that, that they know what God wants them to do, but they lack the courage or the confidence or maybe they lack the dedication to undertake that task. And because they're uncommitted, they are paralyzed or they pause in that moment of indecision. And when this happens, they leave room for God's call to go unanswered and their lives to be unfulfilled. And so somewhere in all of that, I preached just a few services ago about balance and standing in that even place. And somewhere between those two opposing worlds, there is an even place that we can have courage, not presume what God wants us to do and launch too early, or we can stand not paralyzed and frozen by indecision, and we can let the Spirit of God lead us and guide us a day at a time. Apparently, from what we can see in the Scripture, there was not a real hesitation in the life of Abraham. When the Lord called, from what we can gather in Scripture, he moved. Abraham was about 70 years old when he and Lot and Terah departed from Mesopotamia and they made their way to Haran in Genesis 11. And this was the beginning of a walk with God that would really involve many moves. I believe we could all agree tonight that when we said yes to the Lord, our journey with God has involved many moves. Many moves, many transitions. Maybe not geographically, but many transitions spiritually. And so living in Haram was sufficient. It was sufficient for a time, sufficient for a season. But at the ending of Genesis 11, whenever Abraham's father Terah died, the Lord spoke to him, it's time to move from where you are to another place. We're gonna move closer. The call initially was to go to a land that flows with milk and honey. It was a call to go beyond Haran. And so it was just, Haran was just a dwelling place. It was just a temporary moment and so when he got there, it was sufficient till his father died, but then it was time to move on again. And I believe it's the same way with our walk with God, that spiritually speaking, we move from one plateau to another. Have you ever sensed that God was taking you to another place? Amen, we can call it God has taken us higher, call it God has taken us deeper, and maybe it's a combination of both, but we know that we're in transition. God is taking us somewhere. And so as we follow the leading of the Lord, we progress spiritually and we grow in the will of God. And I believe that our walk by faith has nothing really to do with visible goals, nor it has anything to do with our emotions. I mean, sometimes we don't really understand what God is doing in our life. Anybody want to just be bold enough to say amen to that? We just don't get it. We just don't understand. We feel like that we're in transition and that God is doing something, but he just has, hasn't revealed the end game to us yet. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't revealed the whole hand, but we know that God is leading and God is guiding. And so in those seasons, I can't afford to say that I've got to see it to believe it. I've got to touch it to know it's real. I've just got to have faith. And I'm talking about the hope that faith brings, to know that God is leading me, but I'm not really sure, to know that God is guiding me, but I'm uncertain right now, but I know this, I'm pointed in the right direction, I'm on the right road, I'm doing the right thing, and, and so until I know more, I'm just gonna keep driving in this direction. Amen, the longest journey, many have said, in the world has to begin with a single step. Through the years, my wife and I have found ourselves involved in a lot of ministries, and I'll just kind of use that word a little loosely. We've been, found ourselves invo involved in a lot of ministries through the years. Sometimes those ministries 
those seasons we felt really good about. And there were other seasons or other ministries that we didn't feel so good about. We were just trying to meet a need. Amen. I remember many, many years ago when we were first married, we were in Brother Tummins Church in Eagle Lake, and there was a man in the church that he was just gifted. He had just never met a stranger in his life. And uh, he, he had a great passion for bus ministry, and he just knew how to get out on Saturdays and knock on doors, and he could just generate interest beyond all measure. And um, the, we'd bought a, a school bus, and he, was, he had a bus ministry. Everything was going well. Everything was going great until he moved back to Ohio. And it wasn't even doing so bad until Brother Thomas said, we need y'all to take over the bus ministry. Well, I mean, I worked a job about 70 hours a week that included working on Saturday. And so we had to do all of our visitation after I got off work and, and all those kind of things. And we were just trying to fill a need. We didn't feel real warm and fuzzy about that. And don't judge me, please. Then it was up early on Sunday morning, picking up all the people and then having church. And when everybody else was going out to eat, we were, we were peddling all those people back home getting home just in time to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before we went back to church on Sunday night. But we knew there was a need. So I'm not asking you for praise or pity. I'm just talking here tonight. <laughs> that some things were just in transition. But I would really wouldn't trade anything for that season. For one thing, I got to talk about it tonight. It gave me a little sermon illustration. So sometimes there are things that that's not your final call. That's not your destination. I didn't launch out into the bus ministry business. It was just not a shoe that fit us. And so I'm not speaking against it. It was a very successful thing, certainly in a, a period of time. But here we are. Amen. And so I'm thankful, though, that there was that moment. And in that moment, God has a few things to teach us, and I'm thankful for that. Throughout Abraham's walk with God, Abraham made at least four major decisive moves. He moved to Haran, and then from Haran, he moved to Canaan. And when he was in Canaan, a famine came, and he moved to Egypt. And then while he was in Egypt, he realized this is not where I'm supposed to be, and he went back to Canaan. And so I want to look at those for just a moment and think about the impact that each one of those had on his life. As I stated earlier, his first move was out of Ur of Chaldees, which was a land of idolatry, a land of idol worshipers. As a matter of fact, his father, according to history, was not just an idol worshiper, but he was an idol maker. And so the Lord is calling him out of this land of the paganistic ideology. God is incrementally taking him to a place where the scriptures talks about flowing with milk and honey or to his perfect will. But it didn't happen overnight. It was incremental. The second move was after the death of his father. He moved, Genesis chapter 12 and 7, Abraham left Iran, he left his brother Nahor and his family, and at that time, he complied with God's call for him to separate from his father's house, and God led him to a land of Canaan, or toward the land of Canaan. And God rewarded him for his faith with the promise of this. He said, your descendants, your descendants are gonna possess the land. And Abraham built an altar to the Lord, and there he began to worship God. And then a third move was when famine arose and Abraham, in a moment of unbelief and fear, moved to Egypt. And so when he moved to Egypt, he realized, I don't think he realized this for the first time at this moment, but he knew that he had married a beautiful woman and that of Sarah. 
And so he said, when I get to Egypt, if I don't, if I don't make up some kind of story here, then they're going to desire to take my wife away from me. And so he introduced her as his sister. And then fear came upon him. Uh, Abraham, uh, that, that fear to misrepresent the truth, that fear to just out and out tell a story. Amen. And it revealed in that moment that his faith wasn't perfect. But let's remember this. He was still, on a, man, he was still a man on a mission that was being directed by the Lord. Amen. He had stepped out of the will of God in this moment, but God still had this man on a mission. And I believe that there are times in our human weakness that our, our own humanity tries to undermine our faith. We take circumstances into our own hands. We wrestle it out of the hand of God. We don't call it wrestling out of the hand of God. We're just helping the Lord. <laughs> but this led to his fourth move. When Abraham now decides, I've got to return to Canaan. I've got to get back to where I, I know I'm supposed to be. And this sounds warm and fuzzy, but you can't ever go to Egypt without Egypt coming out with you. A little bit of Egypt coming out with you. And so while he, when he came out of Egypt, he was so increased with wealth that when he came out, the wealth of Abraham and a lot eventually caused contention in their own family. They had to separate and so the first test for Abraham came when God called him to leave his own family, his own father's house. That was a huge ask to say, I want you to leave everything you know, everything that is familiar. And so I'm asking you to trade the known for the unknown. I'm asking you to trade the familiar with the unfamiliar. And so the reward for Abraham's faith was this. Your children, your descendants, your lineage is going to possess the land of Canaan, not necessarily you but those that are coming after you. I wonder how hard we would work for something we knew we were never going to see. How faithful we would be to something we know we're never going to touch. We're never. But he said, but your children, your descendants. And so Abraham believed what God, he, what God said in Genesis 15 and 6. The Bible says he believed in the Lord and counted it to him for righteousness. His faith, his courage, his confidence. Ten years later, Abraham, this father of the faithful, Amen, was still childless and still living in Canaan. And so now Sarah comes into the scene with her pleadings for Abraham. We've got a plan, and his faith wavered. And as a result, uh, as a result Ishmael was born by, the, by his mother, Hagar, and Sarah had convinced Abraham that Hagar is the medium. This is how God, this, you know, you can spiritualize almost anything. Abraham, I've had a vision. This is how God, God is going to use Hagar and here's how the promise is going to come. And voila, we've got a child in our home after all of these years and this must be God. And Abraham bought into that. And there are, and I think this should serve as a caution, there are many people that influence our lives and rightly so because we have a lot of connections in life. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of voices and and, uh, and everyone needs input from other people. But we should never allow the ideas of other people to become a means of bypassing the plan of God for our lives. I'm thankful for the voices in my life, but I need to control those voices in my life. Because in time, too many voices just become noise. Nothing is discernible. You ever walked into a loud room, everybody's talking, you, you know everybody's talking, but you can't understand anything. It becomes indiscernible because there's too many voices. There's just too many and there's too much. And so we all need voices in our life. We all need somebody that can speak into our life, but we cannot allow the ideas of others 
the whims of others to circumvent the will of God for our own lives. And so as a result of Sarah's plan to substitute Hagar, we know that there's been bloodshed and strife from that day until this very day. So now, 25 years after the promised son, Isaac, is born, 22 and a half decades after the Lord said, this is what's going to happen, now comes the promise. Abraham, I would just have to, to, to suggest to myself and to us tonight that there were many times, because Abraham was in flesh just like you and I, there had to be many times that Abraham fought mental battles from the time of God's promise until the time of the actual fulfillment of that promise. Amen. His greatest trial, however, came when Isaac was a young man after the promise. Abraham obeyed the Lord. The Lord said, I want you to take him to a place I'm going to tell you of and offer him there. And he obeyed him. And so I would again suggest that in this three-day journey, don't you think there was room for Abraham to have a silent conversation with the Lord? What is going on? It took 25 years to even get the promise and now ever how many years he is into this, ever what the age of, of Isaac must have been, never, never doubt that Isaac was not a child, he was a grown man and so ever how many years we are in, in into this promise, amen, after waiting so long for this seed, why now would you ask me to give this? But somehow his faith, I'm talking about the hope that faith can bring. Somehow the faith of Abraham stabilized him during his trial. Where did he get this kind of faith? I believe he got it in some of those transitional moves. Those times when he was obeying God and all was going well. And those times when he found himself flat on his face in the dust and realized I've made a decision, a poor decision that I'm having to live with the aftermath of. But in all of that, his faith was becoming more and more substantial. He felt like, as a matter of fact, his faith was so strong, according to Hebrews, and I know you've heard it countless times, but, the, but Abraham said, even if I offer him to the Lord, God is able to bring him back to life. I don't know how this is all gonna come about, but this is what he told the men at the bottom of the hill. I and the lad are going yonder to worship and we are going to return again unto you. I don't know how God's gonna do it. I don't know how it's all gonna be worked out. Amen, that's what he said before he left the men holding the mules. But even on the way up the mountain, his faith was even further tested when his own son said, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? But he said, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. God is gonna take care of this. I'm not talking about faith and faith, hope and hope. I'm not talking about crossing our fingers. I'm not talking about wishing for the best. I'm not talking about just kind of pinky swearing that everything is gonna be all right. No, I'm talking about Lord God, I can't see the end of all of this. I cannot see nothing but the dark clouds, but I've got faith in you, not faith in man. I don't have faith in a building. I don't even have faith in a ministry. I've got faith in you that you are gonna see me through it. I'm talking about tonight from my heart, the hope that faith brings, real faith. God is going to take care of this. This is not a man in denial. This is not a man in denial. This is a man standing on faith. 
And we know that God did in fact provide a ram in exchange for Isaac. And it was here that God, for Abraham, God became Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. God didn't become Jehovah Jireh right then to God or to, he became Jehovah Jireh to Abraham, to mankind. He was proven there that God is, he will provide. He will make a way where there is no way. He will make a door where there is no door. He will make a passage where there is none. And so every person's faith will be tested to determine whether it is built on the right foundation. So I just ask you, has your faith ever been tested? Sure it has. Our world has been rocked. Amen. We're not always dancing. And we're not always shouting. We're not always happy. Sometimes we've just been almost disillusioned. And our world's been rocked. But we just have to stabilize ourselves on the word of God. His word is true. Mm. Amen. Many people's lives have been greatly enriched by faith while others struggle from one crisis to another perhaps plagued by doubt a prerequisite I believe to of course receiving the promises of the Lord is that we have to believe that's just to receive the Holy Ghost we get, you have to believe have you received since you believed it's got to start with belief and then we have to obey his word these are fundamental things I know I'm taking us back just a moment, but hold, me, hold on for just a moment. Amen. We've got to believe. We've got to obey the truth of God's word. Truth is a priceless treasure. John said truth will set you free. Faith enables a person to discover the truth and have a love for it and obey it. I, I think about the passage of scripture when Pilate said, what is truth? He asked the question, what is truth? And I know we're familiar with that question, but are we really familiar and think about the setting. Remember this. He asked the question, what is truth? While he beheld Jesus face to face. He was looking at truth in the eyes and said, what is truth? And if we're not careful, we could be within arm's reach of truth and not obey the truth. Amen. So it is imperative that we respect and that we listen to and that we act on the commandments of the word of God. Because we've got to not just know the truth, but have a love for the truth. Because love is what produces obedience. And thirdly, I believe that we're called to live a holy life. And I believe that holiness is a byproduct of obedience and the love of truth. We have got to obey God's plan. But that plan is going to lead us somewhere where there is a visual difference in our walk with God. There is something on the outside. Amen. That lets the world know there's something going on on the inside. Praise God. I'll ask our musicians to come if they will. And I will uh, I'll start closing. How's that? I believe the more we separate ourselves unto the Lord, the less inclined we are to be attracted to the things that appeal to our carnal nature. May I say that again? That the more we separate ourselves unto God, the less inclined we are to be attracted to the wrong thing. Because our passions are they're just somewhere else. My attention is already spoken for. And this is where my focus is. And so the more experience we have with God, the greater our desire to please Him becomes. And so, to be sure, there are those who only have an initial encounter with the Lord. They receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the evidence of speaking in tongues, 
but they never pursue that constant relationship with him and are often, they're reluctant to give up some earthly pleasures. It's because they've only had an initial experience. Amen. And so, you know, we're in a great battle today spiritually. Many people are questioning a lot of things. Is it necessary to do this? Is it necessary to do that? And, uh, you know, to be married, it's not necessary to come home every night. It sure helps. <laughs> it's going to go a long way. It's going to go a long way. And I'm not just trying to be cute. I'm just telling you there are some things that people are just wanting you to, to just sit down and give us book, chapter, and verse for everything. There are some things that the closer you get to God, the less that even has an interest. It doesn't have an appeal because I'm, I'm, I'm pointed in a different direction. And so separation unto God automatically leads. When we, separation unto God automatically leads to separation from the world. Because you're letting go of one world and you're, you're inclining yourself to another. On the other hand, there are people who love themselves more than they love God. And because of that, they struggle in their relationship with God. Because they're more in love with flesh than they are in the spirit. And there is no place in the kingdom of God to stand still. Because the, the work of God is dynamic. Genesis 1, the spirit of God moved and the Spirit has never stopped moving. And so when a person tries to stand still, you can't be static in a dynamic world. As a person progresses from one level of faith to another, our understanding grows and our spiritual enlightenment, we begin to see things in a truer light. And faith then starts inwardly producing something outwardly. And we begin to have a reflection of the behavior of the Spirit of God and the will of God in our lives and our language everything about our conversations everything about our thought process I'm thankful for a change a real change aren't you amen I'm going to ask you to stand if you will I believe that salvation is the greatest experience that a person can receive in this world but there's so many many things that go beyond just a salvation experience there's healing. I'm looking at many, many people tonight that have been healed by the hand of the Lord. Some have been instantly healed. Some progressively healed. Amen. I'm looking at people tonight that know what it's like to be delivered. Bound by vices of sin we could name them, but it's not really necessary. You know what had you gripped. And God delivered you. And so we know not only are we a candidate for making heaven our home, but on this earth, God has touched our body and he's delivered us. I'm thankful for the deliverance of Moses and a mother that was intuitive enough to build a little ark and place him in the Nile River. And, and for the hand of God, the maid that was there, when Pharaoh's daughter found him to say, I know, I, I know someone that could probably help us in this situation. And right back into her arms. She never anticipated that, incidentally. There was no way. There was no way she could have anticipated. She was just trying to save him. She had no idea 
And she would hold him again in her arms. So I'm thankful for the the deliverance of Moses. I'm thankful to read Acts where Paul and Silas were delivered from the jail, singing praises and praying unto the Lord at midnight. But I'm also thankful that there are some people right here in this house. Amen. I've sat down and had lunch with you. I've, I've hugged your neck. And I know you by name. That God healed you and delivered you and strengthened you. We know that God supplies our needs. One man said, faith is better than money in the bank. Amen. At the height of a great famine in Israel, Elijah the prophet was fed by ravens. What an unorthodox thing. But if you think that's odd, just keep reading. Because when the brook dried up, he said, I'm going to send you to a widow who has nothing. When you find her, she's going to be making her last meal. But it's going to be all right. So faith is better than money in the bank. And so to... The faith of Abraham sustained him through all of his life and his response, his call, his response rather to the call of God was always positive. Even when he took a wrong turn, he knew how to get back on track. And so when our faith is severely tested, I believe that we've got to stand on the promises of God. Amen. I'm thankful for those promises, aren't you? Praise the Lord. Let's worship him this evening in this closing song. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website again thank you for listening and we pray god's richest blessings on you and your family